Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Drive Nation podcast now on Episode 9. I'm Dan Prosser uh, on the other end of the line. As ever, Andrew Frankel. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Dan. Um, good to hear from you. Uh, I'd like to say good to see you, but of course I can't. As ever, uh, you're in Bristol. I'm somewhere in the middle of bloody nowhere, um, <laughs> waiting for all this um, nonsense to end. But yes, um, back Episode 9 of the podcast. Um, good to be here. Yeah, well, we're, we're sort of making progress, aren't we? I've been out and about a bit more this week, still under you know certain sort of restrictions but it's been we'll talk about it a bit more later on but it's been such a relief to get back on the road back in a couple of fast cars um and just sort of enjoying doing my job again yeah i bet i wouldn't know myself (laughs) 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 news of the of the slight relaxation lockdown has clearly not quite managed to penetrate the 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 depths of the Wye valley but uh we'll we'll get there i'm sure no you, you are you allowed to cross the bridge at the bottom of your village uh it depends for what purpose so yes oh. <laughs> I, I i technically uh I, I do actually live in gloucestershire even though if you want to send me a letter you have to send it to monmouthshire um because basically to get out of the village i've got to go from england and to wales um so i guess it depends what purpose um and uh, and and certainly i guess the final destination has to be back in england again so the the, the answer to your question i absolutely i haven't got a bloody clue um <laughs> and, and why the Various nations of this uh, of the, this country are cannot sort of get their crap together and come up with some kind of common plan is beyond me. But there you go, mm, clear as mud. Um, okay, well we've been over the last few weeks. Uh, you and I have been recording standalone podcast specials, really. We've been choosing one subject and talking about it for forty five, fifty minutes, whatever it is. Um, the very first podcast that we co- recorded before lockdown. Um, during that podcast, we introduced what we think is going to be the Drive Nation podcast format. We just haven't been able to do it because of the COVID-19 situation. Um, but basically, th- this podcast, once everything is back up and running again, is going to be half podcast specials with you know topics that we'll choose and talk about for an hour or so and guests and all that good stuff. And then the other half will be a sort of topical news-based um, chat about everything that's been going on and and then also 
deep diving um, a small number of the most recent popular Drive Nation posts on Instagram at Drive Nation underscore. Now, we've only been able to do that particular format once, um, but there's, there's been a bit more movement um, over the past few days. Um, restrictions in England, at least, have been lifted a little bit. So we've been able to get, or I certainly have been able to get back out in the cars. Um, and then in the motorsport world as well, there's been a bit more news. So for this episode of the podcast, we're going to go back to that original format. We're going to talk for 20 minutes or so about all the latest goings on in the car and motorsport worlds. And then we're going to choose three or four Drive Nation posts to talk about in a bit more detail. So Andrew, that's a very long way of saying that what we're going to start out with for this podcast episode is a chat about the Formula One driver musical chair scenario. Yeah, I mean, who'd have thought it? Formula One's actually the most interesting Formula One's been for a while is when Formula One's actually not happening. But yeah, yeah, um, you know, a few days ago, um, for people who are listening to this um, starting next Tuesday, um, we got the news, obviously, um, that it was it was all changed at, at Ferrari and and also at McLaren, um, and yeah, it's it's because it's just going to be really interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, you've got Ferrari with its youngest ever, I think, driver lineup um, coming. This is for the twenty twenty one season, so obviously everything stays as it is for whatever um, twenty twenty season they're able to salvage after after lockdown. Um, but you've got Carlos Sainz um, joining um, Charles Leclerc at um, at Ferrari, and do you know what? I'm really, really excited about it because I just, I just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think that Leclerc. I mean, he's obviously he's kind of regarded, isn't he? He's, he's up there as a sort of Division One uh, driver, along with Max and Lewis. I guess they're the only two that I would say these days live at the absolute top level. And I don't think that Sainz is is necessarily. Um, there yet but then again if you look at um, at last season you know he came sixth in the championship which and you may think to yourself well that doesn't necessarily sound that high but if you think you know that's sixth behind you know both Ferrari drivers both um, Mercedes drivers and he actually uh, because Red Bull swapped drivers halfway through the season he actually did better than um, one of those pairings um, that's actually fairly extraordinary Um, and you know he's I think he's just one of these sort of slightly under the radar drivers, and I think that he could do some really, really interesting things. And I think uh, those two are really, really going to spur each other on. It'll just be really interesting, given that Ferrari haven't necessarily had the greatest management skills over the years. How they manage having two young hotshots um, on their team, um, and then yeah, and then there's the then there's the McLaren side of it as well. So yeah, very, very interesting. What do you think? Yeah, Sainz is a is an interesting one because he he's he's hopped around teams a lot, hasn't he? He's been in Formula One only for a handful of years, but I think he started at Toro Rosso and then he was in the Renault. I think that's right, and and then then he was with McLaren for a couple of years, um, maybe even only one actually, and and now hopping over to Ferrari. But in in all that time, he hasn't been in a, a front line car, so you know perhaps he is one of these very bright young prospects he just hasn't had the opportunity to demonstrate it yet in well a, it's it's a very interesting point because you know the, the the point is is that um and this is what i think people including me forget about formula 1 that if you remove the top 3 teams and you go and look at the battle for the midfield it's a fantastic battle and and, and no one ever focuses on it you know you go and look at um racing point and mclaren and um, you know, and Renault and that lot all, um, you know, competing, 
you know, very, very well against each other and very closely against each other. But, you know, for the last, well, okay, so it was Australia 2013, which is the last time anybody other than a Red Bull, a Ferrari or a Mercedes driver won a race. Um, so really, if you don't drive for one of those three teams on any given Sunday, the best you're likely to do is seventh if they don't have problems or fall off or trip over each other or whatever. Um, so, yeah. And so given that context, um, I think he's done really well. Um, and, you know, I, but there, there are probably others, too. There, there, you know, there may be other drivers out there who just given the equipment would, um, you know, would, would, would show us things we didn't think that they were capable of. Absolutely. I think George Russell, people talk about him um, being one of those guys, perhaps Lando as well. I mean, I suspect half the drivers on the grid, if you stuck them in a in a Mercedes, they'd be winning races, um, possibly even all of them. Who knows? Um, but I, I'm, I, it, it seems a shame almost, doesn't it, that we still have whatever the 2020 season turns out to be to sit through, because with all the driver changes that we've seen, I just want to get stuck into the 21 season. Absolutely, completely right. You just want to say, well, just make the changes now. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the twenty the twenty twenty season hasn't actually started yet, so just make the changes now because all it's it's going to be like it's going to be like sort of you know Prince Charles being king when the entire country just wants him to you know step aside and have somebody actually sort of young and interesting <laughs> and fun do the job and we're and we're going to have this sort of interregnum, aren't we? Where you know, it's going to be same old, same old, same regs, same cars, same drivers. And we know what's going to happen, don't we? You know, we just, we just know what's going to happen. Um, and yeah, I just wish that they would, you know, now that it seems that, you know, something genuinely interesting has happened in, in, in Formula One, what, why do we have to wait until, well, it's nearly a year, isn't it? It's going to be next March before we actually get to see any of it. And as you say, I mean, I think they're still hoping to have something like 18 races. I mean, goodness knows how. Um, but yeah, I'm going to struggle to summon up the enthusiasm for that myself. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Oh, it, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to the 21 season now. And I wonder if um, Ferrari, you know, if science turns out to be a real hotshot, they've given themselves a huge problem, haven't they? Well, they, well in, in terms of who to, who to back? If, if science walks into that team, which is, it looks like it's going to be built around Leclerc now. If, if science walks into it and turns out to be mega quick and competitive... They've got two young, super talented drivers that they're going to have to try and manage. Yeah, I mean, I, I think given where they've been, I think that, that, that they would categorise that under a pretty nice problem to have. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, specifically because um, Sebastian Vettel, he's been interesting, hasn't he? Because, I mean, you know, I won't, this won't be news to anybody, but he has just never, his time at Ferrari, it just, I mean... Pff, was he never quite given the right equipment? You see, I think he was. I think in 2018 he had the best car out there, but he didn't. He wasn't able to convert it. Um, and you know, and if you look at his time at Red Bull, um, yeah, he won back-to-back championships with an Adrian Newey car. You know, great news. But in, you know, but in his you know after he'd done that in the I think it was the 2015 season, you know, this young lad called Danny Rick turns up. It's 2014. Twenty. Blows him into the weeds, wins yeah. you know three races. Sebastian wins none. Next thing that happens, Sebastian's off. So, yeah, I mean, he, he, maybe he's a busted flush. Um, and what's he going to do? Is he going to stay in F one? I I really really struggle to see it because you know he's not going to get a drive at one of the top teams. And you know, given that nothing but one of the top teams, as I said, has won a race since twenty thirteen, um, you know, he's going to go to a team. Um, pretty much knowing that he's not even going to win a race, let alone have a tilt of the championship. And, you know, given where he's come from and all that he's done, um, are you going to do that or are you going to 
I don't know, maybe try and follow Fernando and do something in America or sports cars or, 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 or just walk away entirely like Nico. I, don't, I, don't, I just can't see him going, all right, I'll take up the spare seat at Renault. I just can't see it myself. What about you? It'll be very interesting to see, won't it? Um, yeah, a few things to say about that. First is that, well, he's still got another season, we think, if, if it gets going, in the Ferrari. And who knows, if that car turns out to be a gun and he wins a handful of races... Um, Perhaps we'll be talking about Sebastian Vettel very differently. And I did want, you're right to say that in, a, in recent years, a couple of recent years, he's had a very, very competitive car. And if you go back and look at the, the results from the first half of a couple of recent seasons, I think 17 and 18, you see that actually he was leading the championship for a good chunk of it. He was winning a lot of races, very consistently scoring podiums. Um, but at some point during the middle of the season, it, it sort of crumbled and Lewis just got stronger and stronger and turned the screw. Um, yeah, all the, all the Mercedes got stronger and stronger. All well, both. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's probably it. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, that, um, you know, a lot of teams um, trying to compete with Mercedes is what they do is they go, right, OK, we are going to create the best car we possibly can. And they work their socks off over the winter and they arrive on the grid and they've and, and it's all come good they've got themselves a really good car and, and they think wow we're right up there um but mercedes don't do that you know they turn up with their best car and then they just don't stop and i think their ability to develop a car through a season um is is, is second to none and you know mercedes may be beaten in australia but come the end of the season you know they and you know they seem always to be up there don't they and they're such a complete team because you know they don't cock up their strategy and they don't have drivers which just you know fall off um for no apparent reason they just you know it's it's not about any individual lap or even about any individual race is it it's about a season um and you know, I think they get that in a way that no other team does. And so what it means is that even when they don't have the best car, they'll either turn it into the best car or manage it in such a way that they still manage to win both titles despite not having the best car, um, which is extraordinary. That Well, operationally, they're, for the most part, very, very good as well. And that's where Ferrari have gone wrong in a couple of recent seasons. You know, um, mistakes with tyre... Uh, tire choices pit stops strategy all that stuff it's true it is true that they've they've lost lots of points and even race wins through through those sort of tactical errors um so how how are we going to reflect a few years from now on Vettel's time at Ferrari do you think I mean it, it without without a championship it clearly hasn't been the success that people were hoping it would be. It, 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 let's not miss it. It's been a failure, hasn't it? I mean, if you yeah, said to yeah. you know, there are there is no way in the world that he would have gone to Ferrari expecting anything other than, to be honest, multiple world championships. Um, it has been a failure. But you know, he's not, um, as I think you pointed out uh, in a post, he's by no means the first world champion to go to Ferrari and discover that it's um, it's not quite what he imagined it was going to be. Um, we came up with a list, didn't we? Um, Prost, Mansell, Farina, various guys. Um, Alonso. Alonso, yeah, exactly. Went to Ferrari, you know, with world championships, um, you know, in, in some of those cases, multiple world championships already in the bag. Um, came home with nothing. Mm. We also have to acknowledge that that he, um, that Vettel didn't go into the same Ferrari that Schumacher was able to turn Ferrari into. Um, and I think during Vettel's time there, he, w- he worked underneath 
at least two team principals, might even have been three. Um, and in certainly in the early years of the the turbo hybrid era, I don't think the Ferrari was quite a match for the for the Mercedes. So, you know, it's not just that Vettel has made mistakes and been rattled by his younger teammate as he was last season. Um, the Ferrari hasn't been the, the strong outfit that he would have been hoping for. You are right, but you know, let's let's cast our mind back to '96 and Michael Schumacher. Um, you know, with his couple of titles already in, in the bag, goes to Ferrari, and Ferrari is ten times the basket case that it is now. I mean, Ferrari yeah. is, in my view, the second best team out there at the moment. Um, in 1996, it was nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And the point you make about him not having the team around him, well, yes, you're right. But the point about Michael is that he built the team. You know, he had he had uh, Ross there, and he had Rory Byrne there. Um, and, and they create and, and told that and they created this um, this super group, didn't they? Um, and you know, okay, it took them a few years, but you know, pff, they won the constructors in '99, and then no one else got a look in until 2005. Yeah, among that bunch, there was unity, there was belief, there's you know, a shared purpose. There was not a, not a chink of light between them. They were such a strong group, weren't they? And exactly, no one else has been able to engineer that same no, situation and I, think, and, and, and I think if you are a a Senna or a Schumacher um, you know I think the ability to build the team and for the team to have such total belief in you and it, then it becomes synergistic because then you believe totally in the team and and you get into this circle of virtue um, and you know I think to be honest that's probably where Lewis is with Mercedes at the moment I think that they are they are such a closely knit unit their standards are so high and you know it's nothing succeeds like success um and because they've done it and let's not forget that mercedes spent quite a long time in the wilderness before it suddenly came right for them um you know they've learned how to do it um and yeah i think yeah mercedes are you know are doing now what um ferrari did in the early part of this um the century yeah and at the heart of it a talented driver who everyone believed in yeah so can we can we just briefly talk Danny Rick and Lando at McLaren? How exciting is that? Do you think? <laughs> so here's the question: Do you think? Let us imagine. Let us hope that um, McLaren continues to recover from its dark, dark days, and the progression is, let's say, similar to how it's been for the last season or so. That means that in 2021, McLaren are going to turn up on a grid um, with Lando and with Danny and with and, and Merck engines. Mercedes engines, exactly. I was getting to that. Um, yeah, <laughs> and you know, suddenly, you know, it could actually, it could be really interesting all of a sudden. Um, and you know, Lando, we haven't really talked about him, um, but you know, one thing I I discovered was that although Science completely outraced him and finished with almost twice as many points last year in sixth place, and I think Lando was eleventh in the championship. You know, Science had um, four years under his belt before Lando got to the grid in Australia, you know, to, to do his first ever race. But in qualifying, Lando was actually slightly quicker. He has fractionally the better qualifying rate, which means he's got the speed. Mm. You know, he's yep. got the speed to beat someone who's going to get who who is you know as of the beginning of next season you know a ferrari a ferrari driver so you know him and then you chuck danny rick into the mix um and you know he he he's an intriguing character isn't he um Mm, he's a great guy 
Yeah, but do you know do great do great guys win world championships? Um, I don't know. Um, it's 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 really really. Has, is he? I mean, we know he's last of the late breakers. We know he's got an enormous smile. We know that he's really really quick over a lap. Um, but you know, if Lando has got you know real real confidence with that season under his belt, he understands the team and everything else. And Danny, who's what's standing now thirty, I think. So he's not exactly ancient. He's got lots of seasons left in him, but um, he's not a nipper anymore. Um, I don't know could be really interesting I mean, I, what, I, what I hope is that they is that they just really really push each other along and end up being greater than the sum of their parts oh, yeah it, it, how, which way is it going to go it's, fa- it's going to be fascinating to find out I really hope that the 2021 McLaren is a quick car it would be great to see uh, that name back even winning races you know it would be great to see any name other than, and, and no disrespect to Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. And you know, they've done what they've done because they're the best teams out there. But I mean, just for the sake of variety, <laughs> um, for goodness sake, wouldn't it be? I mean, McLaren, fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I would love McLaren to be back up there. I'd love Williams to be back up there. But frankly, I would just love anybody to be up there because, you know, the sport needs it. It really, really does. Yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right about that. And. Yeah, I just want to talk about Ricciardo a little bit more. Um, we we still uh, about you know fifteen ten fifteen minutes ago, Andrew, you reeled off a list of the A list drivers in Formula One. I think you said Hamilton, Leclerc, Verstappen, and you didn't mention Ricciardo. No, um, and so which is an interesting point because we don't yet know really, do we? Does he belong at that top top table? Um, what I'm hoping more than anything is that the McLaren is quick in 2021 and we get to find out for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, we've also said in the course of this conversation that one thing he did do is he scared off Vettel at Red Bull, didn't he? That's true. Um, so, you know... He Duff gave a four-time world champion a fright, didn't he? A proper, a proper scare. Well, he, he wiped the floor with him, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember interviewing um, uh, Daniel Ricciardo a couple of years ago, just before the British Grand Prix, um, and he's he's the, in, in person. He's the way that he that he comes across on on television. Um, and we were doing this roundtable interview, uh, and somebody mentioned Sebastian Vettel, and, I, and Daniel was sat next to me, and I heard him say under his breath, "I beat him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you just think it's it's what you'd expect your mate to say, wouldn't you, over about you know the table football or something, but. Yeah, he's. He, he, there's no question that he's is a, a very very talented guy. I just I hope that he finally has the mach- machinery to at some point perhaps that it's it's the McLaren to mount a proper title challenge because I I think he's got one in him. Yeah, I think he. I, I, I yeah, I, I I certainly think. I don't think uh, I may regret saying this, but I don't think he's a Lewis. Um, you know, I think we knew from the get go. We knew from two thousand and seven. Um, when Lewis turned up, um, that he was he was someone else, um, and I think that even though um, they haven't won titles yet, I think we know that about Leclerc, and I think we know that about Max. Um, there's a little bit of me which thinks that if he was if he was in that category, we'd be thinking about him in that category by now because he's you know he's he, he's he's been out there for quite a long time, um, and you know he's done some amazing stuff, and he's a when is you know, when he's got the wind up and he's on it uh, and he's on a mission, he's, uh, with the possible exception of Max, he's probably the most exciting driver to watch out there. Um, but it just hasn't, you know, Cream does have a, forgive me for the terrible cliche, but Cream does have a way of finding its way to the top. Um, and he's not quite done it yet. So, yeah, let's hope. 
Oh, do you know what? It's it's fantastic after two months of really nothing happening to have some motorsport stuff to talk about again. It's it's a huge relief. Yeah. Has it occurred to you once things do genuinely go just how busy we're going to be? Just how much stuff that hasn't happened, which everybody's going to try and make happen in, you know, the first three weeks after lockdown ends. You know, we are going to be, yeah, up to our ears, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, all those cars still need to be launched. Can't wait, mate. Cannot bloody wait. Yeah. yeah. Got to get Can't out agree. of there. Okay. Well, there we go. That's, that's uh, what we've done 25 minutes almost of uh, news chat. So let's move on to some of the recent Drive Nation posts. Um, we'll talk about them in a bit more detail. Um, Andrew, the first one that I want to talk about because it's just so cool. I didn't know that you got to that you were fortunate enough to do this. Um, but on Friday, we posted a story about you driving the Bentley Speed Eight, the car that the very car that won Le Mans in two thousand and three. Was that right? Yeah, absolutely. They had, had, yeah, they made they, they made a few, but this was that car. Yeah, absolutely. Bloody hell! What, what a privilege that that was. So, so, when did you drive this? Was it soon after two thousand three? Uh, no, it was it was it was in 2019, um, and oh. I couldn't I couldn't write about it um, for DM because um, it was um, there was an arrangement whereby uh, it was going to go into Motorsport magazine first, which but it's been and gone from there. So um, yeah, I'm now sort of free to write about it um, anywhere I like. Um, and um, I did also, so although I've not written about this in the post, I did also drive um, their sort of latest um, GT3 car. Um, and it was just, um, well, we can talk about it as much as you like, but it was, it was just really, really interesting to contrast a, what, a 17-year-old um, purpose-built sports prototype with, you know, the most a brand new um, but nevertheless heavily adapted road car. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I, I was re- I was really really lucky. They um, they gave me the, each car, and you know nobody said, "Oh, you've got to do this many laps, or you can only use these many revs, or keep off the curbs, or whatever." They just kind of trusted me to, to to bring them back, so I was able to. I mean, the thing about these things, and I, and I wrote about this um, in the post, uh, and particularly with the old car, with the two thousand and three, the, the prototype, you can't drive them slowly. Um, it's really not an option because you will crash. Uh, unless you get heat particularly into the tyres and the brakes. They're nightmares. They're horrible, horrible things to drive. They don't understand why someone's trying to drive them like that. They don't like it. Um, and sooner or later, they will, they'll, they'll find a way to, um, to repay your lack of respect. Like I can it happened to me once. Uh, this is a claim to fame. <laughs> Another lawnmower winner, um, the 88 Group C Jaguar. Uh, they actually are nine, and maybe I'll talk about this um, at another time. But I drove that, um, but I was a lot younger, and I was a lot more circumspect, and frankly, a lot more scared. Uh, and I didn't do my due diligence. I didn't drive it fast enough. I didn't get enough heat into it, and I spun it. And I can remember it didn't connect with anything, and it was all absolutely fine. But I can remember thinking, as I headed backwards towards the barrier, that every single component on that car was original. Um, and thinking... <laughs> You know, if I if all I do is just break the rear, rear wing, I've broken the rear wing of the car that won Le Mans in nineteen eighty eight. And money can put anything back apart from history. Um, so yeah, so I, I, so, so I've, I've disappeared off a, off on a tangent, and doubtless up my own fundament as well. But um, yeah, um, so um, yeah, no, I just found it very interesting to sort of um, to drive the two. Um, so you so you drove the the Speed Eight at Silverstone, which circuit? 
Uh, the international circuits are basically the bottom half of it. So you get the hangar straight and you get stone, you get club, um, and then you get um, a little bit of the nonsense that they added on after that um, before back onto the um, back onto the hangar straight. So you, you, you don't get cops and Luffield and that sort of thing. But it's it's still a proper workout, um, you know, it's a circuit in its own right. It's 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 challenging and it's fun and it's it's still more than enough space to exercise a car like that. So when with the speed eight, once you've got some tire temperature, the brakes are working. Does it then just come to you and just feel like a complete honey? It's all about confidence. Um, and where I was very lucky, Guy Smith, um, the bloke who one of the three who won the more for them in two thousand and three. Good luck. Um, good top bloke, top bloke. Um, I've known him for a while, and I completely trust him. In fact, I've been I've been driven in another speed eight by him. Um, so I've seen how he drives them. Which let's let's let me be clear, it's not how I drive it. But <laughs> he was there, and he just said, "Don't worry about it." He's just said, you know, uh, the the two thousand and one, two thousand and two cars were really tricky, apparently. Um, quite snappy bitey you needed to be on it he said that, and he's a 2003 car which was a brand new car from the ground up and absolutely not related to an audi r8 despite what so many people have said um he just said just trust it trust yourself drive it fast drive it hard enjoy yourself um and you've got someone like that giving you those sorts of instructions with that sort of car um you know he's not going to say it because he's kind of secretly hoping i'm going to stick it in the wall um so i just took him at his word and it was it's always the same thing, isn't it? You know, you first get into it and you think, oh, I can't cope with anything. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, 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 I can't begin to handle this amount of power. I don't understand how it can get through a corner this fast and the brakes are just something else. And then, you know, if you're lucky enough to have enough time out there, it just kind of, you acclimatize. That's all it is. You just adapt. Human beings are infinitely adaptable creatures and you just get used to it. And then once you get used to it, you can start to understand it a little bit. Um, and it was you know the clouds clear and you know what is just left is a simply incredible driving experience but you know to be honest with you i wasn't i wasn't that scared by it because somebody who i knew and trusted told me not to be scared i was just it was just one of the most exhilarating things i've ever done wow that's that's so cool so um compare them the two then so you said you also drove the the current gt3 car um interested to hear what they felt like back to back just really interesting um you know one of the things uh i did mention in the post was which really struck me is that if you stuck wets on the prototype on the speed eight it would still go around the corner quicker than um any gt3 car gt3 car on new slicks um so that's you know that gives you an idea of the different levels of downforce um at play between you know having proper prototype bodywork um and something that's adapted from you know a car you know you go on holiday in um the prototype is just so much more precise um it is a precision instrument um and you guide it and you're not you know what you're absolutely not doing uh, or certainly i wasn't doing was uh wrestling with it with it at all um the gt3 car i mean it's it's fun um but it's mobile it moves and you've got to manage it you've got a lot of mass there which you've got to control um you've got to kind of learn how to drive you've got to learn what it wants to do um and then do that um whereas it's it's somehow in many ways i'd say the prototype was an easier car to drive it's certainly less physical despite the fact you're pulling far more g um because you're not getting beaten up by you're not being thrown around it's just it's so much more contained um so I don't, yeah, I mean, yes, of course, I prefer to drive the prototype because it's a proper racing car and it won the more and everything else. But the GT3 car is, I mean, 
you know, proper fun, proper fun. If you if if you like just sort of you know skidding about at very high speeds in in something you know with a ridiculous amount of power, which makes an incredible noise. Um, yeah, I mean, fantastic. But yeah, obviously the prototype was something else again. Yeah, I, I did something very similar actually a few years ago um, while at Evo magazine. I went to the Fiat Group test track in Bolocco in northern Italy um, to drive the Maserati MC12 course. Oh, yeah. Which, which was the, they built 12 of them, similar to sort of Ferrari FF, FXX uh, programs. And, you know, lots of, lots of hypercar manufacturers have their track only um, sort of uprated versions of road going hypercars, don't they? This was yes. this was Maserati's the MC12 course, and it had lots of the um, suspension components from the GT1 racing car. So again, a, a more or less a purpose built competition car. That's what it's designed to do. Um, and before it was a horrible day, soaking wet, Ugh, I, which was yeah. kind of gutting. Um, and the other car that they laid on for me to learn the circuit before going out in the MC12 was. Uh, a Gran Turismo GT4 uh, racing car. So, so again, you know, similar to what you had a a road-based competition uh, car to to sort of get get my eye in a little bit. As I said, it was really wet, and I drove the the GT4 car first, um, and it was it was horrible. There was no no sense of what the car was doing, no feel. Um, that I, had, I felt like I had hardly any traction and grip, and I didn't know how much throttle application would cause the the rear tires to spin up. I just I couldn't sense any of that stuff, um, and I, I got out of it thinking, oh bloody hell! If I can't even drive a GT4 car comfortably around here, how am I going to drive this incredible MC12? And of course, when you drive the MC12, it's light years better. <laughs> <You know? laughs> easier. It's, it's easier to drive, less intimidating. You, you, you sense and feel everything. You, you absolutely know how much um, brake pedal pressure you can put in without locking up. You know exactly how much grip and traction you've got. You just, you just sense the whole car around you. Whereas the, the road-based GT4 car it was just remote and difficult and hard. Um, it, it was so eye-opening that, and it, I'd, it's, I'd never really considered it before. But you know, a, a car that is purpose-built to go quickly around a circuit—that's what they're for, and that's why they're easier. That's what it's good at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it sh- it shouldn't be that surprising, but it is, isn't it? Because you look at them and they look so scary, and you just yeah, yeah. like, oh, I don't want to sit in that, let alone try and drive it fast. <laughs> Um, and then you do, and you know, and, and I've, I, you know, I, I have had this a few times, um, and you just get out of it, and you think, oh, all right, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. That MC12 was it's the the most amazing motor vehicle I've ever driven. It was stunning. But you you look at it, and it looks enormous, and you know how much it's worth, and you sit in it, and you're so reclined, and they've got this uh, sunstrip across the windscreen that comes halfway down, and so you think I'm not going to be able to see anything. But then it's like a switch. You start driving it and you forget about the size. You forget about the value of it. You forget that that sun strip comes so low down the windscreen because you're just looking through that narrow slit of windscreen that's left. And you just get on with driving it. Um, so it, it's so interesting. When, when you actually start moving in these cars, they become very different beasts to what you thought yeah. they were. I mean, I, I would say, not without exception, but I would say it is a very reliable rule of thumb that the things you worry about um, sitting in a pit lane are never the things that actually you worry about when you're out on the track. Um, 
again, you know, as you as you say, your ability or the human brain's ability to focus on what actually matters. Um, you know, there's so many cars because I'm fat and six foot four that I've just not been comfortable in. Um, and I thought, oh God, this is really going to hurt, and I'm going to be rolling around the car. And you get out, and you don't even think about it um, until, like, you know, maybe you get out of the car and you discover you can't stand up properly, or you, you know, you're black and blue for a week. But you know, your body just just decides, all oh, that's not important. The only thing that's important is 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 keeping the car on the on the tarmac. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that Maserati guy. I did love that thing. It sounds like you had an amazing time in the Bentley. Um, Okay, let's choose a different post then. So on on the fourteenth um, this month, we I posted a review of a Litchfield tuned Porsche nine eleven Carrera T, um, and r- really I, I posted it just because I could. Uh, it, it's you know lockdown had been lifted just enough that I could get back to doing my day job, um, and so I just called Litchfield and I said I'm coming up to you. I, I haven't driven your car in its latest guise. Um, I, I just want to drive something else and get back to doing what I do for a living. Um, I'd actually reviewed the very same car a couple of years ago for Drive Nation when it had 500 horsepower, almost 500 horsepower. It's a it's a Carrera T that he has done some engine tuning work on, um, also lowered it on some KW springs and done some geometry work. And when I drove it in 2018, I just, I, I just thought it's fantastic. Um, such a sort of cohesive, well-resolved tuner car. Quite often these tuned cars have got bundles of power too much, really. They've got stiff suspension and they feel a bit rattly or whatever. But his his T was just beautifully done. Um, and then and since then, he's in Litchfield. He's, he's not a man to stand still, so he's carried on tuning his car. And he's since then fitted it with the bigger GTS turbochargers with his own billet uh lightweight compressor wheels that spool up much quicker um, and it now has 600 horsepower uh, in a manual rear wheel drive 911 and Andrew as you know only a decade ago that pretty much would have made it a GT2 RS yeah so a couple of questions Um, question one how does um, you know I can remember when a car with 100 horsepower per litre was was like pretty amazing um and not many could could get there and those that did um were quite often fairly unpleasant because they had to be quite you know heavily turbocharged or whatever uh, and they had lots of lag um so you're now uh, 600 horsepower from a three liter engine so the question one is you know how does that feel what does 200 horsepower per liter feel like these days I mean, i'm just trying to think of other cars that that do that and i think well the the, the a45 um AMG is one and a Senna is another and I can't right offhand think of a third. Second question is did you feel in any way guilty or or, or bad about driving an, a 600 horsepower car around um, the roads in, at, at times? I only mention this because um, I've been um, chatting a bit to our mate Chris Harris and He's been saying that for you know for the first time in years he's driving around the place quite slowly because it just doesn't seem to him to be very appropriate to be or even less appropriate than usual to be screaming about the place. Did you feel self-conscious about it at all or was it just like, "Well, hey, let's go." I understand that point of view. Um I do I do get it. I, it, it no, it, it didn't trouble me too much I have to be honest. I you know, I I didn't really go far and I was as we always try to be very sensible about where and when I used all that power. Um, you know, of course, you try not to blast past other cars fully lit. You know, it's 
I, I, I totally get where where Mr. Harris is coming from with that. Um, I, to be honest, after two months out of the saddle, I, I was just delighted to get back in a car and be driving it and thinking about what it was telling me and thinking about how the engine was working. And it was it was such a huge relief. Um, and yeah, you're right to point out that figure of 200 horsepower per litre. Um, it's just a staggering number, isn't it? Um, and, and what's most remarkable about the work that Litcho has done is that the engine is so tractable. Um, he, you know, he didn't want it to be an on-off, very boosty motor, like as you'd expect of 200 horsepower per litre. It's so linear. It just comes in at from 2,000 RPM. It starts pulling and then just pulls in a perfectly linear way, and it just keeps on rising and building up until about seven and a half thousand RPM. Um, and it, it, you know, it's it's not a stroppy, moody engine at all. It doesn't. I. I I couldn't believe that it was only a little three-liter motor in the back there. Um, it felt like, I mean, Porsche has never put a very, very high displacement engine in the back of a 911 because you know no bigger than four liters. Um, but it, it felt like what a 911 would feel like with a huge, normally aspirated motor in it. I just, it was, it was incredible the work that he's done with it, frankly. Um, and, and, it's, and it's not, you know, it, it's not a king's ransom to, to get the conversion done, is it? No, it's, um, I think it's, well, it's £11,000, which includes the, the chassis stuff as well. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you've got a, it, and it, it can be done to any 991 Carrera, but uh, it, his is a Carrera T. And I had a look, you can, you can buy a Carrera T for just under £70,000, um, do 11 grand's worth of work on it and bang i mean you've got a, a hell of a car there for less I, than the price of a new carrera standard carrera it, exactly yeah. exactly frankly I, I i don't know if you need 600 horsepower in a in a road car but there are people out there who do want it so why not um okay let's choose one more post um to start winding up this podcast um it, it was on may 7th that i posted something about the my sort of curiosity about motorcycles um I've never ridden never ridden a motorbike. When I was 16, I had a 49cc scooter, um, which topped out at a mighty 35 miles per hour. Um, but I, I wrote that post because it occurred to me that when I turned 17, um, I, I, I didn't even cross my mind to look into carrying on the process of getting my bike licenses. I just ditched two wheels entirely because I was so excited about getting on four. Um, but I wonder, Andrew, where do you stand on motorbikes? I mean, I know you lost a dear friend of yours, uh, who, Henry Hope Frost, who when he was riding a motorcycle a couple yeah. of years ago. Do you know, it's, uh, it's funny. Before uh, Henry's accident, I was starting to wobble. A, a lot of people listening to this will know a bloke called Colin Goodwin, who frankly is a bloody menace. Um, <laughs> because he's been riding bikes all his life. Um, and he seemed to have dedicated a small portion of the latter part of it, trying to persuade me to do the same. Um, and you know, I have, I have a few feelings on the subject. I mean, I love the idea. Um, my, I, I think probably, I mean, I used to, I had a mate, uh, when I was young, uh, who had a bit of money and he had some bikes. Um, and this is like when I was a teenager and I lived in Jersey. Um, and I just used to go out on his bikes completely illegally, uh, and go roaming around the island. Um, 
but I haven't ridden a bike since then. What has happened is, um, actually, when I was quite young, somebody else um, I knew um, died. Somebody lost an arm. My brother, my oldest brother, had quite a bad motorcycle accident. And, and, and the one thing that even an idiot 20-year-old me could understand with all these various accidents is that none of them, just like Henry's, were the fault of the bloke on the bike. Um, and I'm just not very comfortable with that. You know, if I go around a corner too fast and fall off and hurt myself, you know, when I'm racing something or whatever, then, you know, that goes with the territory and it's my fault and, and, and I can understand that. But when you are so much at the, well, so much of the peril that you face has got nothing to do with you, um, I, it's always put me off that and probably just as much the fact that I, I know me reasonably well and I, I fear very much that I would want to ride a bike faster than my talent um, would advise. And, and you know, and, and again, you know, if you do that in a car, the, the likelihood is it's going to be embarrassing and expensive and maybe inconvenient. But on a bike, you know, you and I both know people um, who've had, big bike accident i mean really really big bike accidents where it's been touch and go for a bit um and you know i think that as a man in his 50s for me to you know having had no prior experience almost no prior experience no prior experience of any value to get on the bike now um i'd have to do it on the basis that i was just going to poodle about the place and i don't want to poodle about the place i want to you know i want to enjoy my time on the road so i think i'll do it on four wheels Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm still in two minds about it. I mean, the, the response to that post was amazing. There, there were 220 comments, almost all of them long and thoughtful and insightful. Um, so clearly, it's something that you know plenty of car people think about. Um, and I'm, I, I remain curious about it because, well, I know people who have started riding and they say the sensation of it is incredible. And I remember when I was 16 and I had my little 49cc scooter that I loved the sensation of flowing along a country road in it when, you know, on a summer's day, even at 35 miles per hour. Um, and so I, it, that's why I'm, I'm curious about bikes and I sort of wonder about whether or not I should get my license. But as you've just been, you know, setting out, I've, on the flip side, there are so many reasons to be, to be, well, to not bloody do it, frankly. Yeah. Um, the- I mean, I, I, I also, I also have a family. I have an incredibly accommodating family, which uh, you know, um, particularly my missus, who's um, who's never um, in any way suggested that I shouldn't get into any racing car or do anything, any of the you know silly things that you know we're lucky enough to get to do over the years. But you know, and, and she'd never say you can't have a bike, but I just know and I completely understand why she just wouldn't be comfortable with it, and I'm not that selfish i'm fairly selfish but i'm not that selfish that you know knowing that i'm just going to go well don't care i'm going to go and do it anyway um and i and i think it would just i think if i got one um you know i it would obviously cost a lot to get the right bit of paperwork and then you've got to all buy the gear and then you've got to go and get the bike and i think it would just be another one of those things that sits in my shed and makes me feel guilty about having it and not using it Mm. two more things to say on on this topic um it's all moot anyway because Imogen, my other half, has made it quite clear that I'm not allowed one. So there we go. <laughs> um, and the, the other thing to say is uh, uh, a, a common friend of ours, Andrew, messaged me um, on WhatsApp the moment that post went live. I won't say who it is. Um, stay, he, he was saying, stay the F off bikes. Um, he, he, he rides motorbikes, but he doesn't sort of make that 
public knowledge. He, he doesn't actually want people to know, or at least he used to ride them until a couple of years ago. He a car pulled out on him and he he ran into it and he he hurt himself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think I know who it is. Yeah. So when I hear those stories, I just think mm, it's four wheels. Yeah. But. In theory, I love the idea of being that exposed. I love the idea of the power to weight ratio. Those incredible. I used to I mean when I was a kid in the seventies, um, and the Japanese, you know, suddenly I got on top of superbikes, and you know, and you were getting these amazing things with these beautiful engines that you know which would spin up to eleven, twelve thousand RPM, and and I was just. I was I was absolutely in love with the idea, and to an extent, there's a bit of me that still is. Um, but I think for me and in my particular circumstances and largely because I'm an idiot I just wouldn't trust myself <laughs> yeah maybe we'll keep admiring them from afar um, okay so, so I, I, I didn't tell you Andrew that we were going to discuss this but I think I, I just want to do two minutes on this one other post oh god and then we'll finish it go on who, what, who won Le Mans in 1965 <laughs> <laughs> so um well, it was. It depends who you believe. Uh, it was definitely Jochen Rindt and the Kansas Flash, Maston Gregory. They were definitely driving a North American racing team Ferrari 250 LM. So I think what you're referring to is whether a bloke called Ed Hugus was um, uh, part of that driver lineup too. Um, if you didn't see the post or, or, or can be bared to be bored with it again, um, this was a car which had no hope of winning because there were lots of Ferrari and Ford prototypes ahead. It qualified 11th. Um, Jochen Rint and Maston Gregory at either ends of their careers um, didn't really want to be in it because it was a bit of a no-hoper. Um, but it was just one of those races where everything broke. There were 14 classified finishes at the end out of a grid of over 50. Um, and so, yeah, they found themselves in second place um, at dawn and, yeah, went on to win the race. But, um, yeah, so so the question is, years and years later, this bloke, Ed Hugus, who was a really good, capable driver, did lots and lots of stuff um, and was absolutely the reserve driver for that car um, and one of uh, Nart's trusted hands. He claimed that uh, in the middle of the night, um, Maston Gregory came in um, and he, he, he didn't have very good eyesight and he wore big thick specs and he had trouble seeing at night and he was exhausted. Um, Jochen Rint, not expecting to get in the car, was having a kip and they needed someone. Maston Gregory refused to go back out again and so this bloke Ed Hugas got in and did a sneaky night stint. Um, all of which would, was, was legal, but if you, get, if you use your reserve driver, he replaces one of your drivers, which would have been Jock and Rint. So the moment that Rint got back in the car, um, had any of this been known, the car would have been disqualified. Um, and so he wasn't on the podium. Nobody talked about it. Um, and obviously, given the potential for disqualification, it's completely understandable why he wasn't on the podium and nobody talked about it. Um, and, you know, and the, the question as to whether he actually drove the car um, or not has raised ever since. He always maintained that he did. If you look in the Bible of sports car racing, Time and Two Seats by Janos Wimfen, uh, you will find that he's listed as a driver. Um, there are a couple of very reputable websites I use for data, and he's listed there too. Um, but Coco Canetti, uh, Luigi Canetti, who, was, who ran the North American racing team, um, who was there, um, and he said that he absolutely didn't believe that Hugus drove the car. And Doug Nye, who I defer to in all things when it comes to Ferraris and history, has dis- dismissed the story as total garbage. So, <laughs> don't know. 
it's it? It's a great tale, though, isn't it? It is a good tale, yeah. Can you imagine winning, being, you know, being part of a drive out that won Le Mans and not being able to talk about it at all? <laughs> not being able to celebrate, not being able to, you know, wow. I, I hope it's true, at least. Yeah, I hope it's true, but I don't think it is, you know? I don't think it is. Um, I mean, let's put it this way. If he wasn't such a liked and respected person, I don't think anybody would have believed it. I think the only reason people did believe it was because he was such a well-liked and respected um, person, and he was that car's reserve driver. So, yeah, maybe, but on balance, I think probably not. So when are you going to come clean and admit that you did do a night stint for Bentley in 2003? Shush! I thought we weren't (laughs) going to talk about that. (laughs) Fair enough. We'll leave that there. Um, Well, let's wrap it up then. Um, Andrew, thank you for your time. That was was a good, fun podcast. Yeah, Um, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think we're going to have to work out what we do next week, aren't we? If, If there's some more interesting topical stuff, perhaps we'll do this again, or maybe we'll do... Uh, an hour on how to be a car journalist or something yeah well there's always stuff to talk about isn't there always stuff um thank you all for listening um please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them it really does help us also leave a review leave a rating tell your friends tell your mum if she likes cars please spread the word it all helps um and we'll talk to you again uh, a week from now Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market